Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hello again. My name is Katrin. I'm a recovering uh, last addict from Germany. Um, my sobriety date, as I said, is in uh, August 2017. And um, I, I was very nervous to speak today because I thought that my sobriety date doesn't really count. I, I don't know if I have enough sobriety in my head to speak. And um, I told Luke before, does it need to be recorded? Or if it is not beneficial, can we just, you know, afterwards maybe delete it? <laughs> because I, I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> I'm nervous. And um, yeah, I, I will have a lot of step one in my, in my share. Um, despite of four years of recovery. And uh, I will just share what it is like today. So um, I, I wrote it down. It helps me to focus. And um, I hope it is okay for you if I read. Um, yeah, I, um, I will start with what I'm powerless over. I'm really powerless over lust in form of using pornography, um, masturbation, sexual and romantic fantasies, toxic and dependent relationships to the point of destroying myself physically, mentally and emotionally. I am powerless over the desire to be lusted after and making men my higher power. I'm powerless over misconnection with people in general confusing the magic chemistry of lust with action of real love and care for others. I am powerless over my countless character defects, uh, most of them self-centered fears in any form. And I am totally powerless over the desire to get married and have a husband as the solution to my life problem. And, uh, and this is also one of my painful step ones at the moment. Through the power of this wonderful program, and as it said, when I was announced um, this program that has worked miracles for me um, when nothing else did, and the help of my sponsors that I've had so far, and the love of this fellowship, and a truly powerful and loving higher power, I could be abstinent uh, or sober since um, August 2017. Yeah, I think that it will help me to speak. Um, It is a tool for me uh, to remember where I came from before I entered SA in April 2016. And I have learned in this program that if I ever feel the need to compare myself it is best to compare myself with myself before recovery and what it is like now and not with other people. So I would like to tell you a bit of um, where I come from and what it was like, um, why nothing worked, 
except when I was finally led to the SA program by my higher power. And Sexaholics Anonymous works and has given me a solution when nothing else did. I came, as I said, into SA in April 2016, and it took me a very long time to finally identify with Sexaholics Anonymous because I was in denial about some forms of loss and especially um, my addiction to sex and pornography because this form of acting out was not my primary habit and that brought me to SA or that brought me to the point of the deepest despair, so to speak. Um, but in hindsight, I can clearly see that it had become quite an addictive habit already, although I was in denial. I mean, I was in denial. And I used it almost daily to escape from reality. Um, yeah, but because SA has sex addiction in its name and not love or relationship addiction, I really struggled getting the idea of what lust is about. Um, I grew up in a very liberal home concerning uh, everything that had to do with uh, sexual context. And it was not a taboo to talk about these things. Um, I believe that almost everybody was using pornography in some form and that it was kind of normal. So I did not see that as a problem. And I was and I am a very slow learner in recovery. But um, as I said, it didn't cause me nearly as much pain as the form of lust it took in my case. And this was um, being addicted to the partner as I would be to a drug as the white book defines one form of lust. And till this day, I get chills of identification when I replace the word alcohol in the text of AA with the name of an ex-partner with whom I had been in an on and off relationship for more than 12 years of my life. It fits 100% to my addiction when I do that. And this addiction for years was simplified as a form of codependency by therapists I went to, or it was called a love and relationship addiction, uh, something that could be treated um, by strengthening my self-esteem and finding out the things I really like doing in life so that I would not need to be so dependent on a partner. It turned out that this aspect of therapy to find myself and to find things I enjoy, but to even control and enjoy lust was not the solution for me. Therapy was really useful to uncover the dysfunction in my family and the trauma, to develop understanding for me and my parents. And it was helpful to show me that I need to work on self-respect and self-care. But when it came to my addiction, and I, and I must say, I don't believe I could do all these things because I was in the addiction. Um, I think that today, maybe I would have a different basis for that. But back then, I couldn't do these things, um, work on my self-respect or self-care. Um, yeah, and I think that it had really distracted me from the solution that came with SA um, to be sober and to find God. And it says in the big book, our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. Um, and that, that is really true for me.
SA and the White Book teach me that I live a life or live a life, hopefully live a life based on wrong attitudes, self-obsession, separation, false connections, blindness and spiritual death. Uh, it is quite painful to accept that, but <clears throat> I clearly see that in my time of active addiction, that there was no God, no higher power I turned to for help. And I was spiritually dead. The White Book also said that my disease requires a program of action that includes a fundamental change in attitude, a character change, union, true connection, self-awareness, and a spiritual life. And I believe that this is my solution today, and this is what I have found in SA. And today I believe to achieve this, I must begin to stay sober in the first place. Otherwise, all these things will not happen. So that means that sobriety is the key and the beginning of my recovery. I never heard about these things in recovery, or maybe my ears were deaf to what was told to me because I was so stuck in my addiction. <laughs> and today I understand that lust is not just sexually acting out, but rather a form of greed that permeates all areas of my life whether it be food, shopping, approval-seeking, happiness, and the desire to get married. Last wants to kill myself if I don't get what I want. It wants me to kill myself. And it is the strong desire to have something or someone and the urge to have my needs met immediately. Once I get what I thought I need, it is never enough. And whether it be the relationship I was in, the food I binged on, the therapy I did to do, uh, to feel good about myself and so on. Um, it could never fill my emotional and spiritual emptiness. So it was never enough. Um, yeah, and to explain a little bit about my background also, um, I grew up as a single child with very young parents and my parents got married because I was on the way. My mother did not necessarily want a child. Um, they are both active addicts up to this day and there is food and sex addiction going on, but also alcoholism and alanon issues and everything is untreated. As I grew up, I lived in a big family because both my mother and father, they had brothers and sisters and I had cousins, but we lived rather far away and isolated and I only saw children at school. My family has suffered from a lot of different addictions and trauma due to these addictions and it broke apart when I was um, 16. My grandfather had committed suicide. My uncle died at 45 after he was drunk and had an accident. And then my parents got divorced and it was, I mean, a violent marriage. I was witness to the violence in the house. When I was about eight years old, I found pornography in my house and I was immediately hooked. I couldn't stop looking at the pictures and I felt a strong urge to look at it over and over again. And that was the time when I started to search in the house for more of it. And I always found stuff that was hidden. Didn't matter where it was hidden, I found it. 
um, my first toxic dependency relationship I think I had with a female cousin who was a year older than me. She lived far away and I only saw her rarely, but I totally freaked out with joy that I would see her when she came to visit. When I was about eight or nine years old, um, we played a game that involved violence and sexual actions. And again, I felt hooked to that experience. And from this time on, I would urge her to repeat that. But at some point she refused and she told her parents about it. And I got told, oh, uh, I will never forget the shame I felt. I just wanted to disappear from this earth. My disease progressed rapidly. I had sexual fantasies with relatives, boys from my class, animals, objects. I started masturbating as a child and I had an obsession with a male cousin for years. Um, and, and the obsession started also very early. There was a boy in my class I had been obsessed over with for, for over a de decade. And I used to bother him with calls after school. So this was a habit I developed pretty early. Or it was just there, I don't know. Um, yeah, I watched pornographic movies as soon as I got a TV in my room until late at night, feeling almost unable to get up the next morning for school. And, I, and when I came to SA, I really thought, I don't have any problem with that. There's no problem. <laughs> and when I changed school for the fifth grade, I was uh, sexually molested with a call from a teacher, but nobody could prove that it was him, so it was not persecuted, and I had this teacher until I left school in the 12th grade. I had my, yeah, I had my first sexual encounters with a man when I was 13, and he was 23. That's what he said. In my uh, first so-called relationship, it was all about the sexual relation, which I confused with love. I was unable to stop and I had constant urinary tract infections and these were so excruciatingly, excruciatingly painful um, that I had to go to the hospital every single time because it was such an intense, intense pain um, and yet I couldn't stop acting out with my partner. Um, these infections happened month after month after month for years and I had to take antibiotics also month after month after month to the point where I became resistant and they didn't work. Um, when I started university in 2001, I met a man, um, the man of my dreams, so to speak, where the chemistry was really intense. I had either high highs or very low lows where I didn't want to live anymore. And I never in my life experienced an emotional roller coaster like this. I was hooked to the point of total despair. I wanted to, I wanted him to save me from my miserable life, to make me feel happy and whole, loved and wanted. I know now that I was manipulating him, but also vulnerable to any form of manipulation from his side. I wanted and I threatened to kill myself when he threatened to leave me. And at the same time, I tried to leave in desperate moments only to find myself crawling back, usually in an act of complete demoralization only two days later, because I couldn't handle the emotional withdrawal and abandonment trauma. 
I was totally hooked once more and totally emotionally, mentally, mentally, physically. He had, he was my solution in the beginning and then it was the problem. I accepted him having affairs, relationships. I accepted being someone on the side for him. And it gave me a kick that he wanted to be with me even when he was in a different relationship with someone else. In my sick brain, that meant that he loved me and that I was powerful. I just have to say my sick mind what it says. And trying to destroy his relationship, I tried that. Um, trying to find out what he was doing. I obsessed completely with him, insulted, harassing with calls compulsion to call him many many times a day there was physical and emotional violence involved in this relationship from both sides and I had to get tested for STDs several times because I was unable to use protection I was protected by my higher power from incurable diseases and I have lived in this hell with this man for over a decade wasting my lifetime and fertile years to have a family. But as I see now, I was absolutely unable to have accomplished such a thing to you know, have a family. I lost friendships due to my obsession because my friends were unable to help me and frustrated with me going back to this disaster. I went to therapy from 2008 to 2011 and I fell in love with my therapist who was merely able to help me. He encouraged even my sexual drive, but also encouraged me to go to a treatment center. And in that center, I discovered 12-step programs for the first time. There was SLAA and CODA, and I went to CODA for four years, but nothing changed in my dependency on this man. I could not identify back then that lust was my problem. I thought it was a codependency issue. Um, I tried hypnosis only to find out that I would not let myself be hypnotized. I tried homeotherapy. I tried rituals of letting go. Um, I went to SLAA for a while, very short while, because the closest meeting was about 250 kilometers from where I live. So I went to a German convention of this fellowship and completely alone, overcoming my fear of driving in total despair not knowing any one of these people. That was in um, that was in the beginning of 2016. And then the miracle happened. In this convention, I met a woman who told me of SA and that she is considering going back to this fellowship. And that was my turning point in 2016. Over the internet, I found out that there is a convention of SA, the spring convention in the federal state that I lived in the same week that she told me about SA. I found out that only 50 kilometers from where I live, there's an SA meeting, which is up to this day my home group. I believe very strongly that this was my higher power working in my life. Until this point, I was not ready to receive the solution, let alone accept the sobriety definition of this kind as it is in SA. And today I believe that it is this exact sobriety definition that helped me to get into recovery.
and to step out of the mess I had created in my life. It is this exact sobriety definition that has become the foundation of working my program. Without sobriety, I personally cannot begin to clean up and look upon what has happened in my life from a distance. Sobriety allows me to start working on building a new life. And my life today is really a lot different from what it was, thank God. When I came to SA, I immediately knew that I needed the women in the program to hold on to because my life depended on it. And Five minutes, Catherine. Thank you, Francis. And I was willing to do whatever it took. Um, I wanted to get a sponsor and sponsorship was offered to me immediately when I went to this convention. This is also a miracle for me because I see that many people, many women um, are looking for sponsors and it's hard to find one. I wanted to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to even more. <laughs> I telephone meetings sometimes three times a day. And up to this day, it is like I still need the telephone meetings. I need them and I love them. And I need the Zoom meetings and I love the Zoom meetings. It's great. Um, I went through a horrible withdrawal in the beginning, but I went to conventions. I did many calls to go through the withdrawal. It was very emotionally, very painful. And to get very current, why I'm back in step one, I, I, I also do more things. I have sobriety, renewal partner and all these things. But I, I want to share that um, the man that I talked about in this share he sent me a message after five years, um, Sunday, two weeks ago, and I was completely destroyed. I mean, I was back in my head where I was in 2016 when I came in, and um, all these ideas started coming back up again. If if all this is right, what I'm doing, and it was like the recovery was swept away in, in a minute, and I had to write down why the fantasies about having a relationship are so dangerous for me. <clears throat> it's even the desire. I mean, when people tell me it is a natural desire to want to be with someone in a relationship, and I understand that, I know it's true, but for me, it's not helpful. Um, I have when I when I compare myself with other people, when because that's what happens. I have the fantasies I should be in a relationship, maybe with this man or with whomever. <clears throat> I start all the character defects come up. I start comparing myself with people who live in a relationship. I compare their life with my life, and I don't know anything about their lives. I live in a fantasy world. I put them in a fantasy world, what their relationship looks like. I don't acknowledge how hard it is to, to be working on that um, relationship to make it really work, to be really in a partnership and to take actions of love. I completely, that's outside of my mind. I just think, oh, it's all happy. <laughs> and that I would have to suffer and suffer and be miserable. I'm in um, self-pity my life suddenly becomes really worthless, useless, senseless. I don't feel worthy as a woman. And it, it, this all goes within seconds when I have relationship fantasies. And then a second later, it's like, this life is not worth li living. I don't want to live anymore. I'm worthless. And 
all this comes up and it's just as destructive as the other forms of lust and addiction because it just it drives me out of reality and into it's something very self-destructive there's always this part in me that wants to destroy myself and I'm really scared of that yeah so I have to surrender I guess also the desire to be in a relationship there's nothing um, I can do about this no matter how natural it is <laughs> and um, I guess that if my higher power would have to it would have to be very creative if I should be in a relationship. <laughs> um, I tried to get to know someone online um, with my sponsor in, in full um, knowledge of it. And uh, it was for the purpose of getting married. So no dating in the sense, but for the purpose of getting married very seriously. Um, but a lot, a lot of fears came up when I was actually just writing with these men. And and all the self, um, what is it called? Um, the negative ideas, many, many negative ideas about myself. <clears throat> and so just two weeks later, I stopped it and I, um, I quit this um, subscription and I started doing step six on these negative um, ideas about myself. Six and seven with step into action because I think it's um, a nice method and it allows to, thank you for the time I hear it, to also write um, like affirmations in the end. And this is where I am somewhere between step one, six and seven, and in between is all the other stuff. So yeah, that's all I have. Hi, Catherine, this is Luke. Thank you so much for your share. Um, it touched me a lot, really a lot. I can identify with so much. I had a violent, I was raised in a violent family, though a very strict one, uh, not a very liberal one. And um, also the, progress, the progression of the disease with all kinds of fantasies of relatives and friends and animals and objects and everything. And um, so I thank you for that. I, I could. Your, your story reminded me again that I'm a sexaholic. So that's a good story for me because that's what I need to be reminded of each day. And another thing is, um, I just got a new check-in partner and he's 10 days sober. But I noticed that he wants to work this program. Yeah? So for me, it's not a matter of length of, of sobriety. It, it does do something, but it's the, the desire to, to want to work this program, to want to keep sober. That's that's what I'm looking for in a person. Whether the person is one week, thank you, Jim. That's beautiful. <laughs> Whether the person is one week, one month for 20 years. So thank you so much. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Kawi. Do you mind um, enabling the chat? I can't talk now. Okay, no problems, Kawi. We'll sort that out for you. Uh, Buddy. I'm Buddy. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Catherine. If we deleted your talk, we would have to delete my talk because they're the same. 
I was 21 years sexually sober and still struggling with this idea, this false belief that I don't matter, that I'm not a worthwhile person. Very harsh, critical thoughts running through my head, all against myself, that my sobriety doesn't matter. Um, so it was good to hear you sharing on that, because it reminds me that as crazy as my head sounds, at least I'm not alone with this kind of crazy thinking, and that there are others also in recovery um, who are just as insane as I am. Um, I never had sanity. I'm just hoping to be restored to clarity in my thinking, because um, there's no model of sanity in my family, in, in my whole, all the generations. And I hear my chimes, that's all. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, buddy. And Catherine, we've got Cowie's question in the chat. She says, thank you so much. It was lovely to hear your story. I could identify with a lot of things you shared, especially on how lust manifests itself. My question is, how do you differentiate a genuine desire from a lust manifestation? To be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. I have to think about that a little more, but I have your number, Kawi, and if uh, if I get an answer, I can write it to you, or you can also chat with me about it. Yeah, we're in the in the signal group, so you can find me there. I I don't know an answer to that now. I'm sorry. Okay, thanks, Catherine. Okay, that answers your question, Kawi. Uh, Rashna, your hand is up. Yeah, uh, 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 hi, uh, Rachna here, Lustaholic, Sexaholic from India. Uh, thank you, Catherine. Thank you. This meeting, uh, I have been uh, here uh, pretty regular, lovely topics, lovely speakers, and everything is uh, new to me. And I need to be in every meeting and hearing every topic as much as possible. So I have a question. I don't know whether it relates to today's uh, meeting or not, but it's an essay topic, essay question. Uh, but obviously, uh, my question is, I am very new in essay uh, since this May. My essay date and my sobriety date is 25th May this year. So I, I am moving forward one day at a time. I have a sponsor working through the steps and uh, I'm in between step zero and step one. So now my question is, uh, I have lost uh, trust uh, uh, in my husband. Uh, my husband has lost trust in me, of course. And uh, I'm uh, uh, sorry about the dog work, uh, but I have really hurt him a lot. Now uh, he he uh, has a suspicion uh, on every every relationship which we have around us, his friend circle, his uh, working industry, my friend circle, everything, everything. I hope you understand. So when he is vulnerable, yeah. So when he is vulnerable and uh, wants to vent out or wants to suspect and wants to ask me question, at that moment, how should I behave? I mean, uh, I have to keep myself calm. I understand by now, but 
oh can you give me some tip where i can handle that situation he is very supporting and uh, he knows about me in sa uh, so how can i handle that situation uh, if you can help me with that thank you oh, thank you rachna i don't know what but i i, I don't know how to answer this question either, i'm afraid and i'm not married so i i i mean you say tolerance and kindness towards people in general is not not a bad idea but i i really i i have no idea i'm so sorry maybe somebody who's married can can answer the question thank you thank you catherine no problem thank you catherine no problem okay uh scott yes uh, scott <coughs> scott i saw uh Thanks, uh, Catherine, for your uh, for your shares. Uh, beautiful story, true uh, to real life. I I mean, I can track that on my own life as well. Uh, thank you for articulating uh, my disease so well. Um, and uh, I'm reminded again. Um, I, I I love that you said that lust was the problem, but it was you couldn't find it. Like you couldn't figure out that that was it. Um, and um i knew the word lust uh growing up in the church i i thought i knew what that meant but i didn't really know what it meant for me as a sexaholic um and i tried all the things <clears throat> if there's a christian thing i've done it if you can pay for it i've done it um you know i i've spent over six figures in trying to deal with this and uh the absolute best thing that's helped me is being right here in these meetings no question um because i'm powerless like like you referenced so I, i just wanted to thank you for 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 reminding me again today that i'm a sexaholic thank you thank you uh, scott claudia yeah hi thank you katrin Oh yes, yeah. I really love you. <laughs> oh, it's so good to hear you and yeah, I really can feel a lot of love to you and I met you at this convention the first time and yeah, I I see your growth and I'm so touched about your consciousness and and your Yeah, your recovery and how you work this program and how serious you're in in this program and yeah, I I learn a lot of you and your honesty. And I never heard your whole story. Uh it was really good to to hear it. So thank you so much that I get to know you better. And yeah, um Also when when I I listened to you a lot of re- memories came up from from my childhood with my cousins and so I have the same story it's really a lot of similarities it's, yeah and this is so touching and I felt so much compassion um yes and my question thank you for the time my question is because I see I I recognize that I or what i believe is or whatever i i my awareness is that i see your relationship with your higher power is really growing and 
my question is, what's going on there with you? How do you um, recognize it for yourself that there is something changing? And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Claudia. That's a great question. I hope I can answer this one. <laughs> um, it's there's really it's a, it's a a diff a very big change for me because um, when I came to SA in April 2016 in March, I left my faith tradition. I uh, I stepped out of it. I was so disappointed and I had like no belief in it anymore. I just thought it was all. Well, you know what, and I, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have any trust, um, and it helped me very much that SA allowed me to have a higher power of my understanding that it doesn't need to be a higher power that is defined in that way. I, I didn't have any understanding of a higher power when I came in, but for me it was okay to accept like the group as a higher power or so. I, I could start with that, with something small. And um, and it just developed over time that I really, I want to be with my higher power. And also in that convention, I heard the third step prayer for the first time and it just, it just kicked me off my chair when I heard it. I, I knew the serenity prayer, but I didn't know the third step prayer. And I always thought that SA is the most spiritual program that I have experienced. And maybe because my spiritual emptiness is so big, it had this strong attraction towards me. And I wanted to have what, what people have that are Alzheimer's and have a very, very close relationship to their higher power that attracts me the most. So, and I, I found also the people who live with that and, and go by that, they are like role models to me. <laughs> and one sponsor encouraged me, yeah, to, to find out about um, holy people, like spiritual, um, I don't know, role models, spiritual role models. And I read a little bit more about this here and there, and I heard some talks, and I, I, I decided to go back to my faith tradition. And um, it, it is really helpful for me. It, it supports my program, and um, yeah. But I have to be reminded a lot, that it's really like um, contradicting also, that my sponsor needs to remind me all the time that there is a higher power. <laughs> and, and Or do I really believe that this higher power is so powerful that it can do the things for me I, I cannot do for myself? And I struggle, I, I still struggle so much with so many things and try to do it on my own. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it helps a bit. Thank you, Catherine. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. And now flying across the Atlantic, Nancy. Hi, Catherine. It's so nice to see you. Um, I'm a sexaholic. I, I rarely, rarely have heard someone talk about the connection between violence and sexuality. And that's such a core part of me. Um, that's something that instantaneously for me now I can relate to 
um, you talking about instantaneously with this acting out partner after five years. Um, about not being able to answer questions, our literature says we need to be honest. That's it. It doesn't say we need to have all the answers. It could even say we could be crazy as loons, you know, depressed or whatever. Honest. And you have been honest. That is such a, that is a role model to me. Um, I wanted to ask you, you talked about codependency and you talked about dependency. If you could uh, go into a little bit more about the difference of that for you. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, with the codependency, um, how can I say it? For, for example, if some one of my relatives is um, an alcoholic and I, I try to enable his alcoholism that he can drink or that he stops drinking or... I try to manipulate in some form to um, uh, stop him from drinking or to, to try and control him. That to me is a codependency. And the dependency that I experienced in this uh, relationship, it was the addiction like to a drug. It, it was different. I needed it. And I... I needed the, the false connection, so to speak. Um, it, it, I was using my partner like others would use heroin. When I felt low, I had to use a dose of connection. When I felt high, I had to use another dose. And um, it is a different form of dependency, but also it is mixed a lot because I think that this partner was an ex an addict himself, and uh, so I was also probably a lot in ethanol behavior, trying to control what did he do on the computer, whom did he look at, and uh, and so on, um, and not to be free to be myself when I'm with this person and to take care of my own needs, but always um, in connection with this person, trying to find out what is he doing, and so on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was mixed. Thanks very much. Thanks, Catherine. And staying over the Jamaica, Greg. Yes, uh, thanks, Catherine, for your share. Uh, and in essence, you gave us your first step. Uh -oh. uh, and what you did during the, the first part of it was tell us what you were powerless over. And I thought you did such a great job on telling us what you were powerless over. And I'm working with a sponsee now on his first step. And uh, I'm going to let him listen to that when you get the, spe the, uh, the speech up online. But you did a great job on that. And I just want to commend you on, you dug really deep into what you were powerless over. And another thing that really stuck out to me was you talked about making man your God. So you did have a higher power before you got to SA. And uh, that was man. And for me, it was woman when I got in. And I was looking for something. I don't know what I was looking for when I went to prostitutes. Because I was married. I had a good, well, I didn't have a good marriage, evidently. 
but I was when I went to prostitutes, I was looking for God and love, and it, it, anyway, it was insane. But and also, I tried hypnosis just like you did, and it didn't work. And I tried a whole bunch of different things, and it didn't work. But anyway, uh, I found a whole bunch of similarities. So thanks a lot, Catherine, for your share. You did a great job. Thank you, Greg. And uh, we'll fly across another ocean now, across the Med to Nada. Thank you. Um, I'm Nada, great for covering the Augusta Addict. Uh, thank you, Catherine, for your share. It was inspiring for me. You talked about uh, codependency, and I have this issue. Um, I am already in uh, CODA, and uh, it's helpful for me to change my uh, my relation with myself. But um, but I have this uh, codependency issue and desire for to be in a, to be in a codependent relation. So and also codependency emotions related with me with lustful emotions. So my question for you: How did you heal from codependency, and uh, could I heal from codependency emotions towards someone uh, while he's still in my life? Especially, he supports me a lot in my recovery, and there's no any self-destructive emotions or life destructive or any constant obsession toward him only codependency emotions leading me to lustful emotions and thank you um i did not hear it all did you ask how I, or if i if i healed from codependency i well, I mean, I went to uh, to this fellowship, 12-step fellowship on codependency for four years, and um, I could not stay out of this relationship uh, because it was not only a codependency issue. Um, I didn't want to let go of my drug, basically. And, and I think that when I am sober in an addiction, I can probably work better any other program that deals with relationships. I don't know. I haven't tried <laughs> CODA since. <clears throat> and I'm far from being free of codependent behavior. Uh, I have lots of character defects, I think, that are also connected with codependency, like approval-seeking, for example, people pleasing that I always want to, you know, when somebody says you did such a good job at identifying <laughs> the, the, um, your, your, um, yeah, your powerlessness is immediately like, Oh, somebody gives me a praise at school and, and I'm good or so, but uh, I'm powerless over it. And um, yeah, but I think SA has, has healed me also a little bit in that area and I need to continue with step six and seven on this. And it is a good program. I remember I, that I liked the meetings a lot and it helped me um, deal with, especially relationships in my job with my, um, with my boss, for example, I always had problem with authority and I would still need it today, but I focus on my, um, addictions in SA and food, and that's all I can do energy-wise at the moment. Thank you. 
Thank you, uh, Catherine. Uh, Nasia. Hey, Catherine. Uh, thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. And uh, I just had these two questions. The first being that, what program actions did you take, and uh, in the initial months of your sobriety, that helped you remain sober? And the second is, how did you balance between the program and your life? Like, say, when I just uh, I want to work, I just work. I don't want to attend the meetings. And when I attend the meeting, I just want to attend the meetings and not do the work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I can identify with that. <laughs> I I want to live in program world and uh, not to you know. Um, I want to. I still want to escape reality, and I can also do that with with programs. Sometimes I um. But I have to face this reality and um, my job is really stressful and a lot of work. And that's also the reason why then the lust kicks back in in form of a relationship fantasy. Then I fantasize that a man would just have to earn enough money to save me from my job and then I would be free. Um, but I, what I did in the beginning, that was also the question... I wanted, as I said, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days and I really love the telephone meetings. Now you can go to Zoom meetings and there is this app that shows the next meeting is um, available to be in an essay meeting all over the world. And yeah, the fellowship helped me so much. I wanted to have a sponsor and I think that I needed sponsorship. I don't know how to do this program without sponsorship. And if you have the possibility to go to a 12-step workshop, that would also be very helpful um, to to do the 12 steps fast in a workshop and then maybe in a slow way with a sponsor. I find that very helpful. Um, yeah, and the balance between program and life. I have no idea. I get up in the morning, I get ready for work, and I am in a telephone meeting. I eat my meal, I drive to work, we say the serenity prayer, and then I drop into my workplace. And then I work, I go home, um, I prepare my food for the next day, uh, my place, I have to clean it, and um, sometimes I'm in a meeting again while I'm doing this, or I, I call someone, but yeah. I mean, I have to deal with life, and that's a fact. <laughs> Cannot escape it. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. And uh, we'll have to make this the last question because we're running out of time. So, Margot, please. You're on mute, Margot. Thank you. I'm Margot Sexaholic. I came on late at the top of the hour. I think my higher power inspired me. I just got home from some errands. Thank you so much, Catherine. And what you said at the end of your share was so helpful to me about, because um, I can get, I get a strong attraction, I can be right back where I was in two seconds, um, comparing myself to other people. And I think I've had this idea that after many years of sobriety, I, was, I would turn into a normal person, but I'm not normal. And um, I loved what you said about comparing myself to couples and other people when I really don't know their life. And I really probably couldn't tolerate being in a relationship it just um, decreases my self-esteem in two seconds. So what I was wondering was, when you got that message from your former person, 
um, a little while ago. Could you just say a little bit more about how you dealt with it? Because to me, I'm so grateful I don't have to act on those things, but I'd love to know more tools and how you did what you did with that. Thanks. Thank you, Margo. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I, I think I did not really react in a, in a sober way because um, the thing is, it was on my old number and it is my work phone. So only my colleagues from work have this number and my new number where I have all the program contacts and, and my family, they don't know my new number because I needed a phone for work so I could switch it off and, and just be not bothered with work. And that's the number that he contacted me on, on WhatsApp. He sent something and I couldn't see it. I think it was higher power because these, um, these um, um, settings within the past five years, we, we didn't have contact. And so it didn't show me the message because it was not a verified contact or some, something. He was not in my numbers anymore. And I freaked out totally emotionally. I cried. I called someone. I said, I have to know what he wrote. I have to know what he wrote. I was just, I had to know it. And nobody could stop me from doing it. And I just wrote a question mark back. You know, that's what I did. And then he sent another message, of course, and he said it was just a picture. And he sent a picture of a, a festival that we used to go to. It was just such a, a hook for me, you know, to get into interaction. But I I called many people and I called my sponsor, especially. My sponsor was the, the biggest help for me. Um, and she said, this is a bottle in your fridge. And <laughs> Your back door is open to let the last back in, so you have to block this number. And she was very gracious. She said, you can have a week time to make your decision. <laughs> and I said, I think I probably need this week of time to make the decision. <laughs> but like, I think uh, three or four days later, I just thought it's really, I mean, I don't want to go back there, but I, I still had the discussion going on in my head and I'm not, um, I'm not um, free of it. It comes back from time to time that I think maybe he is the love of my life. Maybe, you know, he changed or whatever. And I need to call a lot and talk about it a lot. Also in the, in the telephone meetings I shared about it. Okay. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.